Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Good morning. How are you? Man, isn't this just been some awesome weather? Yeah. Good Lord. Just got some sun this weekend. It's beautiful. Okay, wow, what a good morning. Um, hey, I want to do something real fast before I jump into this. I have an announcement that I, I want to make you aware of. If you are a, uh, a worship leader, a keyboard player, a guitar player, and, and you just feel like they're maybe this call in your life to lead worship, what we're doing, myself and some of the other leaders uh, within the worship department, we're going to start gathering in, in homes to... Uh, just learn from each other, grow together, grow in community, uh, stretch each other in our gifts and that sort of thing. And what, ultimately, what we're doing is we're preparing for uh, our family night, uh, our family nights that are coming this fall. And what we want to have ready is um, just a whole bunch of worship leaders that are prepared, equipped, and ready to lead worship in home environments. Does that sound like a good idea? So if that seems like a fit for you, um, feel free to give me a call call here at the church, or you can email me, jason at vinelife.com. I'd love to talk with you about it. Yeah? We good? Okay. Um, let's just uh, hop right into this. This is Palm Sunday. Uh, I, if, you're, if that's news to you by now, it shouldn't be. I think we're all aware with the palms. Uh, it, this is Palm Sunday, and, and it is the Sunday before uh, Easter Sunday, and so this is the beginning of what is known as Holy Week or Passion Week. And if you're new to the Christian faith, um, I, I would just, just to bring you up to speed, give you some context, it's just this week that historically the church believers, followers of Christ would, would remember what, what Jesus did, what he went through, what he endured um, leading up to the crucifixion and then ultimately his resurrection, Right. And so historically, believers would spend this week, and I would encourage you to do the same, to, to, to pray into these things, to meditate into these things, to study these things, to reflect on what has happened, what Jesus has done for our lives, yeah? And, and it's a week where we really carry two tensions. It's a week where it's met with sorrow, ultimately, when we consider what our Lord endured on the cross and what he went through. And... and uh, um, on behalf of us. And so that creates this place of sorrow, of, of mourning. But at the same time, um, that is met with joy and celebration because we know that he uh, didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose, right? And so this week we think about and we celebrate Jesus, who was the firstborn of many sons of God. And through his obedience, and faithfulness, even unto death, we now sit this morning and we come and gathered, having been ad- adopted as sons and daughters of God. And the rest of you will catch up eventually. I mean, this is good news that I'm talking about. It's an awesome thing. So we celebrate it, but we also approach it with humble hearts. And as his kids, we just go, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. In fact, even now, could we just pause and thank him together, and maybe we could humble our hearts and bow our heads and, and just be still a moment. And, and I think 
just seems right before I move forward if we would just pray and thank him. Could you even do that in your own heart and just spend a moment? Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. And Lord, our hearts are humbled. They're humbled. And Jesus, you became for us the perfect example of a son who in your faithfulness and obedience to, to the Father, you ransomed us and brought us back to you and made a way for us. You've set us free. So thank you for what you endured. Thank you for what you accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Hey, turn to your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And I wanna, I'm going to be pretty brief this morning. Uh, we're going to even move on to some other things. But I want to go to the story that if you've been around the Christian faith for any amount of time, you've read this story a number of times. And, and traditionally, this is the passage we would look at and reflect on this morning. It's the story of the triumphal entry. And it's found in the book of Matthew Chapter 21, and let's just read it together. I'm going to read in the NIV, and uh, let's just hop into it. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now let's pause there, and I just want to give you a little bit of context. We picked this up. This is Matthew's narrative, Matthew's gospel. And, and um, the, the context here and what has been happening is we're near the end of Jesus' ministry on earth and ultimately near the end of his life. 
And at this point, it's been some three years where Jesus has been traveling all, all throughout the region with his disciples, proclaiming the message of the kingdom. And everywhere he went, he preached the message of the kingdom, right? And he fed the poor, and he healed the sick, and he cast out demons, and he, you know, and he released his disciples to do the same. And we're now reaching the end of that. And now he's making his way to Jerusalem and, and he's walking. And just some two miles before he gets to Jerusalem, he stops and he says, I, can't, I, I don't want to walk any further. I need to finish my journey on the back of a donkey. And, and we think of that and we pause, we look into it and we go, why? Was his, was his feet tired? No. He had been walking everywhere. He was strong. He was used to walking. He had spent his entire ministry walking everywhere that he went. So Jesus didn't want to rest his feet. We find as we read into the story that he was making a statement. His actions were deliberate. He wanted to send a message. And we'll see what that is. But Jesus was, no, I I need to be on a donkey now because as I enter the city, I need to be riding on the donkey because when I get there, I want to say something to everyone present in that city. And that's what was happening. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And and Jesus comes riding on a donkey. And and we know this as we study the donkey in that day. In Jesus' day, the donkey was a symbol of peace. It's what the donkey was. So he was coming as a king, but he was coming in peace, and he wanted to make that very clear. The horse, however, in those days was known uh, as a symbol of war. And so a king, to, to ride out on a horse, he was making a message, and it was loud and clear, I come to make war. But Jesus was riding in to the city on, the, on a donkey. Essentially to say, I, I come in peace, I come as a king, I come to, to claim my kingdom, I come to you in peace, not with war. And again, it's important to see what's happening here, because his actions were deliberate. We find this, Matthew is the only gospel writer that records this story. And so then we ask the question, why? Why don't the other gospel writers record this story? And here's what we've learned. We know this. Matthew's focus of his narrative, his focus of his story, when he's writing the gospel, his, his gospel, what Matthew had in mind was primarily the Jewish people. So some of the gospel writers wrote to Gentiles, but Matthew, his focus was to the Jew. And he had a theme and he had a message, and it was this. Matthew wanted to show and prove to his fellow Jews that Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. That was his message. That was his focus. So Matthew, unlike the rest of the Gospels, when you read through Matthew, you find this. Jesus said this, and this was to fulfill what the prophet said. Or Jesus did this, and this fulfilled that prophecy of the coming Messiah. All throughout Matthew, unlike the rest of the Gospels, we see that. Matthew's pointing out over and over and over again. Here, I see it here. Here, it happened here. Look here. He's the one that fulfills the prophecies. Matthew's message was to his fellow Jews, essentially to say, hey, everyone, he's the one. He is the one the prophets talked about, right? Um, And so Jesus comes, comes into the city. He's riding on a donkey, and and he's trying to make a statement. He's, He's deliberately 
intending on sending a message. Essentially, I came and I want everyone to know who I am and why I came. The, the prophet Zechariah was the one that prophesied about, uh, well, one of many prophets who prophesied about the coming Messiah in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Now, note this. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this actually happened. But this is what the prophet Zechariah writes. Chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so coming into the city, the way that Jesus did, he was declaring to everyone there that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He was pointing, and he was sending a message loud and clear. Remember what the prophet Zechariah said? Well, he was saying this, I am he. And he knew that by doing so, he was going to set into motion a chain of reactions that would ultimately uh, lead to his life. He knew that was going to happen. He knew that he was going to go into the city. He's looking out miles out. I'm now going to go in on a donkey, and I want to send this message, and I want it to be loud and clear. And some folks are going to just get upset with me. And he knew that was going to happen, and they were going to kill him. Luckily, thankfully, for us, uh, he believed that it was worth it, right? Jesus was fixed. He was focused. He knew who he was. He knew why he came. And he came into the city. Some embraced him. Some cheered and shouted and welcomed him. Others were plotting to kill him immediately. So, you know, as I was studying this this week and just kind of reflecting on it, just kind of a side note for us and side note for you individually, it's just really important to understand that when you step into God's identity for your life, when you sort of take on, take ownership of, and step into God's calling and identity of your life, just understand that not everyone's going to like it. It's just true. When, when you say yes to the Father and start to walk in his identity, some people, even those that at one time you considered close friends, are just going to be upset. I want to kill you. And that, we know, thankfully, is not happening in this country, but literally it's happening all over the world today. Sons and daughters of God stepping into their identities. Some people don't like it. Just remember, it's their issue, not yours, okay? You know, at the same time as a pastor, it's uh, sometimes sad to watch because I've seen people never step into God's calling and identity over their life. For some of us, we run from it and actually just say no to it, and we harden our hearts. I, I think 
for one reason, and there's probably many, I think for some of us, there's, there's this place deep inside of us, we know that for us to like fully step into God's call in our life, it just may require everything. And he may ask everything from us. And the trouble is, for some of us, we don't see the reward that awaits us on the other side of death. But Jesus saw it. And he said, for the joy that is set before me, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus didn't have a problem with giving it all up. He didn't have a problem with dying. He didn't have a problem with saying yes to his identity because he saw what was beyond death. And, and he celebrated its coming. Right? We know that. He said, my joy is to do the will of the one who sent me. Right? And so Jesus comes into the city. He's making uh, a declaration of who he was and why he came. And, and as he does so, like all sorts of things start happening, right? He rides into the city and some people start uh, screaming out, Hosanna to the son of David. And we heard earlier, Hosanna just simply means God save us right? Uh, to the son of David. Son of David was just a popular title of, of the time for the coming Messiah. And so when Jesus came into the city, some people, when they were screaming, what they were saying was essentially this, free us from Roman rule and oppression. So some people welcomed him, yes, but their, uh, uh, their ideas were political. They welcomed him not for who he was, but for who they wanted him to be for them. Save us, set us free from Roman rule, like come and reestablish Jerusalem as a sovereign nation, and he didn't come to do that. Some were crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that is just uh, simply this, we welcome you as you are. Some people got it, some people saw it, some people knew who he was, and they celebrated it, and it was beautiful. Uh, Some cried out, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And and again, it was just simply another well-known term of praise, which essentially meant, let all the creatures in heaven and earth give you praise. And these were separate quotations, not necessarily spoken at the same time and not necessarily spoken by the same person. We understand that they were separate things that people were saying. And so Jesus comes into the city, and there's just three different responses to it. And most of the people, as he came in, had already made up their mind about who he was. The Pharisees did, for sure. They had decided, when we studied the scriptures, they had decided that he was of Satan and that all of his miracles, that he was, um, you know, he was, it was just by the power of the enemy. And so the Pharisees wanted to kill him. They had already made up their mind who he was. They had already, you know, just kind of filed Jesus in, in that box, you know, it's just demonic and... That's, that's where they were placing him. Again, others, they welcomed him. They did. They welcomed him with open arms, but not, uh, not for who he was. They welcomed him, hopefully, hoping that he would uh, fulfill their agenda for him. And he didn't do that. Others received him and welcomed him for who he was. And there was three different responses to him. And, you know, again, thinking about that for us today, and we can apply this corporately, we can apply this individually, I just think it's a reminder for us to never try and squeeze Jesus into our boxes for him, right? 
and to let him be who he is and worship him for who he is, not what we want him to be. Some of us really fixate on, on certain attributes of his character and certain parts of him. And you're like, I, I love this about you, Jesus. And so ultimately, we just start to worship that thing. You know, Jesus uh, fed the poor. And for some of us that carry a bent towards social jur- justice, well, you know, Jesus was the one that like, fed the poor. And then we can just fixate on that. Others, I love Jesus because he did miracles, and we just focus on that. And if we're not comfortable, we can focus on some of his attributes and parts of his character and things that he did and actually step into idolatry. Instead of letting him be who he is and embracing him in his fullness. Right? And so my prayer for us as a community, my prayer for myself is this, like, Lord, we want to worship not our ideas of you, but we want to worship you. Right? Lord, we don't want to worship just the parts of you that I like. But Lord, I want to worship you in your fullness. I don't want to have a box for you. I don't don't want to file you like I file everyone else. But Lord, I just want to let you be Lord and you're in charge. Kind of quiet in in the room. Yeah? I, I would just challenge you, encourage you. Maybe this week you could in your devotional time just spend a moment and just say, Lord, where's my box? Where have I filed you? What box do I need to let you out of? And Jesus comes into the city, and we see this beautiful scene. And he comes triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we see him coming as a king with all the splendor of royalty. But, but he comes on a symbol of peace. And it's beautiful. And Jesus uh, didn't come to rule as other kings do. You know, he came as a king of peace. Uh, Jesus came to claim a kingship of the heart. So he wasn't after the, the wealth of nations. He wasn't after the glory of the world. He wasn't after the world's splendor. He was, he was fixed and focused on his father and his relationship to his father and being the perfect son of his father. And he knew who he was and why he came. And he, yeah, he came to rule, but our hearts, that's what he came for, to redeem, to, to set us free. And, and I was studying into this passage this week and I, and I came a, across some writings of Charles Spurgeon. Any Spurgeon fans? <laughs> so good. I came across some of his writings, and he put this scene into words, I think, that are so much better than I could ever say. And so I want to read that to you, and I think the guys are going to put it on the screen. Um, But let me read this, and then we're going to come into land. This is what Spurgeon says. It's beautiful. If Christ cared for this world's glory, it might soon be at his feet. If he willed to take it, Who should raise a tongue against his claim? Or who should lift a finger against his might? But he cares not for it. 
Take your gugaws elsewhere. Take your tinsel hints. He wants it not. Remove your glory and your pomp and your splendor. He needs it not at your hands. His kingdom is not of this world. Else would his servants fight. Else were his ministers clothed in robes of scarlet, and his servants would sit among princes. He cares not for it. Now watch this. He says, people of God, seek not after it. What your master would not have, do not court yourselves. Man, that's a mouthful right there, right? What your master would not have, do not court yourselves. Oh, church of Christ, what thine husband disdained, do thou disdain also. He might have had it, but he would not. To sit at his feet is the honor which he will give you. Is that enough for us? To sit at his feet is the honor which he will give you. Hearing his words, obeying his commands, receiving of his grace, this is true dignity. This is true magnificence. The poorest man that loves Christ or the humblest woman who is willing to accept him as her teacher becomes at once one of the nobility that wait upon Christ Jesus. What a kingdom is this, which makes fishermen nobles and peasants princes, while they remain fishermen and peasants still. Wow, Spurgeon. (laughs) So, so good and so well said. Jen, you can go ahead and play. I'm going to come into land. Man, that's just beautiful. And we see that it's true, right? Jesus could have had, he could have claimed, he could have taken hold of everything the world could offer. He could have showed up, rode into the city, called down legions of angels and taken over. wasn't what he was interested in. He came for something to be sure, but it wasn't riches or fame or wealth. He he came for us. To redeem us, to ransom for his father a bride, a people. You know, I think of that We've been in this season where we're just exploring family and sonship for some time. And I just think here again, Jesus shows us what being a true son of his father looks like, right? That's what sonship really was. Everything offered to him, everything available to him, but he's like, he's just like, no, I, I'm just not interested in any of it. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Wow, that's beautiful. And I just think today, maybe we could, this week as we reflect on this Passion Week, maybe we could lay aside our boxes and our things and our agendas and our ideas. 
And as true sons and daughters of God, we, we come further into this place. And Lord, our, our food is to do the will of our Father. And we want to worship you, God, not our ideas of you. And as we see and as we look to the other side of death and the rewards that lie there, we welcome it. Take up our cross to follow the one who sent us and saved us and redeemed us. Amen. Let's pray. I just think we should all even, we can do so quietly if you want, but open our mouths and declare our love for him. Would you do that right where you are? Jesus, we love you. We love you. You. We love you. We thank you for what you did. We thank you for what you modeled for us and made available to us. True sonship. this week, Lord, as we just meditate on these things, I pray for all of us as a church family that you would enlighten our hearts, you would bring just new insights, teach us, challenge us, stretch us, encourage us, we pray, to follow you, to obey you, to lean into you. We love you. Jesus' name we pray.